Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Kirschman, here with Tiffany Kelly, uh, CEO and founder of Cura Story, and we're going to dive into her story, no pun intended. Uh, really excited to have Tiffany on today to talk about her startup and, and a little bit about her uh, young career journey and, and how she went from corporate world to uh, the startup world pretty quickly. Uh, most people don't don't move that fast, so uh, we'll try and uh, keep up with her on this episode. And Tiffany, welcome. Hello. Uh, definitely pun intended. Also. <laughs> so take us take us through. You know, you you know, not only college, but then um, you know your your time at ESPN at LSU, and 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 then we'll dive into Cure Story and then what that's all about. Yeah, totally. So knew I wanted to work in the sports industry at an early age. Um, I think everybody in my family played college sports in some form or, form or fashion. My dad was one of the first national black champions at Morehouse for swimming, which was pretty cool. We won't, won't let anyone forget that. But um, so just knew I wanted to work in sports and um, didn't figure out in what capacity until um, senior year in high school when I was job shadowing for career day, the New Orleans Hornets at the time, because um, I wanted to work with an MBA front office. And I was supposed to work with the PR staff, like game night operations. They stuck me with the stats guys. And the rest is history, honestly. It was really interesting, I think, being a 17-year-old and noticing how everybody respected the stats guys and they knew who they were and like every time out every quarter and they were waiting for the stats sheets and their analysis so um that's when i kind of started focusing on data science and sports analytics um so went off to college down in south florida nova southeastern university i think it's actually where the dolphins used to train um, but I think they're at the Hard Rock Stadium now, but was there, completed school four years. My my bachelor was actually sports management, um, but finished up like sophomore year. So junior, senior year, I was kind of focusing on programming, um, statistics classes, um, database management, all of the good technical things that I needed um, and was trying to get a gig with the front office. That did not happen and just kind of haphazardly found myself in media, which I loved. And during that year, while I was interviewing with front offices, because I think right now there's only about like five or six women like in the front office, player personnel in the NBA, which is the most like the NBA is the most like advanced um, when it comes to all the leagues, in my opinion. So um to say that the nba only has six pretty crazy so i think at that time when i was interviewing there were only a handful a couple um and while i was interviewing i was working with lsu athletics and and tutoring all of the guys and girls in economics stats all that good stuff you know you mentioned the difficulties in getting into a front office and it it, it doesn't go unnoticed in the sense that yeah. you know a lot of people have different struggles at different times of their careers, especially trying to get into the door. And, you know, like you said, being a female on the analytics side is not, not easy. And as you went through your journey and, you know, one would think, okay, you've got to go 
get more analytics experience, more analytics experience, but then you became a tutor, right? And there's that educational component and you started working with student athletes. And, you know, I, I say that because I believe that, that everyone's, you know, one way or another, their, their path, right, has something to do with what they've done prior to it. Um, and, and we'll talk about Kira's story, but I believe that your experience at LSU probably helped drive ultimately uh, what you're doing right now. And so maybe talk a little bit about that experience and, and if there was an aha moment at all where you went from LSU to then ESPN and got into the media space and started to kind of understand and, and combine your experiences. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. I feel like the aha moment it happened at ESPN, but obviously the seeds I think were planted from my relationships, like with the athletes at LSU. And it's just so interesting working at an SEC school. Um, shout out to them for just coming off championship. <laughs> Go Tigers. But it's way different than most people would think. I They eat, breathe, and sleep their sport. Um, and as a tutor, what was really interesting, just being that I had athletes in my family, I was also an athlete, um, you, you see things a little bit differently, like you can understand what they're going through. And so it would frustrate me when a lot of tutors would be like, oh, like I wish like they would just focus on school more or like you're not going to go pro. And I'm just like, you can't just first off human dynamics, like you can't get on a foundation with someone you're trying to like help them out if you're already judging them. And B, the probability of them going pro is actually really high at a school like LSU. So it was really interesting just kind of understanding their schedules, kind of trying to actually help them like off the court, off the field, learn what they were learning um I even had to trick some of them where because I was teaching them statistics and econ in the sessions I would actually use their own statistics and be like oh like you coming off this game your efficiency was like way down and like talking to them about hypothesis testing and stuff like that and a lot of the guys would like pay attention like what like you're not taking into account defense or whatever they would say but just like little things like that that would just get them to pay attention and um I kind of actually position myself in this industry as a data scientist that focuses on um the human components of sports like just making sports tech more human and how I got a job at ESPN was I built this hustle difficulty complex and presented it at MIT Sloan. Um, and it was quantifying the points that were, that you created for your team that were produced just by hustling and then points that were actually um, like removed or stopped on the defensive end by hustling um, for basketball. And so that, that model started in my brain when I was actually teaching the basketball players, the men, because just like a one-off comment that was made during a session, like, well, like you can't measure because 
it's obvious a lot of the athletes don't really like analytics as much because I think it's just so in your face. Like you obviously know when you're plateauing or when something's wrong. So um, it was just like a one-off comment that was made of you can't measure X, Y, and Z or you can't measure this like heart, soul, blood, tears that I put into the game. Just like something feel, like that. And, the feel aspect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that one comment actually made me just start thinking and actually kind of build this model and um, present it at MIT Sloan and the ESPN hired me in like a month. Um, so yeah, those, I feel like both of those experiences kind of crafted um, where I am now for sure. And you make it sound easy as you know, you got hired by ESPN and then, and then, but I, I want to ask you this, right? Because most would say, well, you got to ESPN and then you left after a little over a year, right? And someone would say, well, why would you walk away from an opportunity like that, right? You're in the industry, you got your foot in the door. Um, and sometimes there's opportunities that present themselves, whatever it might be. Talk about that, that mindset and what you're up to now and, and how that's been beneficial for you. So... There were a lot of, I guess, reasons that kind of left to my departure, like at ESPN. Um, I think one of the main ones was I built a network extremely fast. And, and not saying that that's a bad thing, um, but I, I think it was really interesting. So I was the youngest on my team. Um, I also, there was a metric that I built kind of staying with that theme of making sports tech mo more human. I built a model called the Fan Happiness Index, which was quantifying the happiest uh, fan bases in college football, which got over a million views within a, a day, 24 hours, became a weekly segment on the Paul Feinbaum show. Um, I think it also became a weekly note or something throughout game day, had its own thing on Sports Center. Um, so to be 22, and that actually happened, was pretty crazy. Um, I was the only black woman in a 300 person department to the point where our former president, John Skipper, like knew me by name. And he kind of called me in his office one day. I was like, hey, like, I'm super happy you're here. Like, and John Skipper was, is awesome. He just was really big about diversity in the company. He put the six, Jamel and Michael on. Um, it was just always a priority for him. Um, and so it was really nice to know that. But even though it was nice to know that I was valued, I think by upper management, I think it was the politics obviously came into it um just being so young and kind of building a metric that was really big for the company um being the only black woman was obviously super hard uprooting my life and moving to bristol connecticut um and kind of all of these pieces kind of happening it was tough i mean and just like with things happening at the company and my former manager was fired, just a lot was happening. And um, I think what happened was I met with, and this was when Cure Story was kind of 
percolating in my mind. It was pretty crazy at ESPN because I was within content. Um, we were just building metric for all of, all of our content and programming. We would kind of just take an athlete's video, post, tweet, whatever, and throw a pre-roll ad on it. So we're monetizing something that's not our IP. And to the point where actually a lot of shows were getting axed during that short amount of time that I was there, like Mike and Mike no longer around. And I kind of have this opinion that I think it's because ESPN's not the worldwide leader in sports content anymore. Like there's so many other options to consume sports content. Um, we can go direct to the athlete now if we wanted to just go straight to their social pages. Um, so I think just the industry is changing as a whole. And I had a conversation with the VP of data at Instagram that told me like, Hey, like, I know you're thinking about venturing off in the startup world. Just know if it doesn't work out, like you always have a job here. I mean, Instagram sports, Facebook sports is a huge behemoth in itself as well. And I would still kind of be talking to the same people in the industry. So, um, and what, yeah, like I didn't just quit just cause there were things that pointed to it, but, um, that comment from the VP, just like, you always have a job here if you need it, if it fails. I think that that kind of was made me think and realize like, oh, like I'll actually be fine. <laughs> like I, like I can go out and venture off and actually build something and figure out I'm not getting any younger. So that's kind of what actually, I think I actually quit ESPN a few weeks after that conversation like I went abroad for like two weeks <laughs> to Switzerland yeah. and I came and then I came back and like dipped out but um just having that conversation just gave me the confidence because someone like that at a huge company also saying like we would hire you and snatch you up in a second is pretty nice so um yeah that's kind of what happened when 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 you think about the the idea behind cure story and and what you're ultimately you know based on our conversations you know you're you're launching here soon in in a few weeks uh, to a month and and you know thinking about the the recent um you know changes within the the sports world college sports college athletics and and how you're positioning uh, not only with brands and athletes but to ultimately um, you are a you know technology company, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the core of it, right? And then uh, there's so many different ways that you can take tech technology nowadays. And so talk a little bit about, a little bit about you know, what the idea is and, and how you're first kind of launching and then um, maybe what some visionary uh, you know, expansion ideas are. Yeah, so... Without giving away any secrets, of course. <laughs> secret sauce, secret sauce. Um... So I position us as the easiest way to kind of create videos. Um, and how I and the team settled on videos is around May 2019, when I was actually figuring out what Cure Story would even be, um, I was having conversations with athletic directors who kind of were like, hey Tiff, some news might come out. <laughs> 
student athletes who monetize soon. So because of that, I knew it was happening um, and it was going to be fast moving. And so I wanted to build something that would get student athletes acclimated to monetization, specifically social media. Um, I think they're obviously a brand new market um, and almost all of them would want to do some form of YouTube videos or a day in the life, like teaching people online, how they do what they do, things like that. Um, but YouTube sucks when it comes to a monetization standpoint. It's a 45-55 rev split. Um, if people are skipping your ads, you don't get paid. 70% of people skip ads on YouTube of their 2 billion monthly users. So we wanted to have it just be the easiest. Like when you want to start a video channel or if you want to kind of start becoming a video creator, cure a story, we want that to be in the back of your mind. So we have a partnership, GoPro. We send you video equipment rentals to your house in like two days. Um, we have a music library, so you don't have to worry about royal, like royalty-free music, licensing, all that good stuff. You can edit your video in our platform. We find you sponsors. So you're actually able to make money on all of your platforms, not just because YouTube's only on with the rev share, which is why everyone tries to become a YouTuber. Um, but with us, you can make money on YouTube, Instagram TV, and Facebook Watch. We'll probably figure out Reels down the road since that just launched and TikTok if it's not banned and just all the other platforms that pop up later down the road. Um, but just the end-to-end -end process of shooting video, editing video, finding a sponsor for your video and then distributing and making money on that video, all of that is taken care of. It's 100% free. We just take a cut off of sponsorship that you make. Um, and we're starting with a target market that our team knows very well, which is athletes, sports channels on YouTube, um, fitness video creators, things like that. Um, and launching with these really, really big brands that are kind of salivating because student athletes will be able to monetize soon since we have access to that, that market as well. So that's, yeah, that's what it is. From a technology standpoint, you know, one would probably listen to that and, and go, well, that's easy. Uh, <laughs> or, 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 and I'm kidding when I say easy. Um, or, you know, when, when you think about the, the aspect of like, okay, well, how does that really work, right? Uh, how does someone get paid? How does someone sponsor a video? What goes into the content creation? Uh, I would imagine that, you know, there are, it obviously occurs today, right? It, it yeah. it's, it's out there in the world, but you're talking about an expedited process, a seamless process. So uh, from a, you know, a simplicity standpoint, like what's behind being able to get someone's content sponsored uh, and, and how are you matching up sponsors with athletes? Yeah. So in the beginning, typically the athlete video creators that we're starting with, um, I don't want to say they all kind of talk about the same thing, but a lot of them are more in the health and wellness, fitness, sports-based like, topic. Like, that's what their, their content is typically about. 
Um, so those are the brand partners and sponsors that we're actually starting with. Like, for example, DraftKings, they only care about sponsoring videos that are sports content or esports content, right? So video topics that are talking about sports or esports, they would want to sponsor those. So as a video creator, as an athlete, you would shoot video with the equipment, the rental equipment that gets to your house, which you don't pay for up front. Um, upload that into Curious Story, edit it with our platform, add music to it with our platform, add what all the editing things that you want to do to it. Um, you select what it's about. So say that it's a seven minute video on IGTV of you working out like a weekly video series of you working out with another athlete virtually, right? So you would select fitness, health and wellness. Um, so then once you select that, we actually put in our marketplace and brand, our brand sponsors, our partners that are interested in fitness and health and wellness content videos, um, they'll see your video right when you upload it at the top of, at the top of their explore page. Um, they can click in, they can see the video in its entirety they can click to bid to sponsor it. All of our sponsorships are four months. Um, we don't have the luxury of being a YouTube or a Facebook, so we can't just ingest ads whenever we want them, whenever we want. So um, all of the sponsorships are four months and the 30 second to a minute sponsored segments are actually done by the video creator because um, they're the most effective when it comes to digital advertisement. And we just pull, we just debit money from the brand every a thousand views that your video gets on these platforms. Um, and of course, we're using Stripe as to kind of take care of the financial um, back end. So we don't touch any of your money. It goes straight to your account. Um, and you can just pay yourself out as long as you have, I think, above $10 in your account. So that's kind of, that's how it works. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, pretty seamless and if you're just getting started as a video creator we will have resources kind of like blog resources where um just understanding points of view and angles and lighting and things like that even getting on zoom calls with us our head of customer success just because we're trying to make everyone happy and, and really figure out what um if they're just getting started in video um how to assist them but yeah that's kind of what we are offering with the tech platform definitely not it seems easy but it's definitely it's definitely not there's there's always a, there's always a lot behind the, the tech wall as the, as the, a as thousand they say percent. um but you, you know it's interesting and we won't dive into any more of the, the secret sauce by any means but uh you know i want i want to pick your brain on on what you've learned so far as as you know the founder of a startup and kind of just going out from an entrepreneurial spirit perspective and you know, for someone who's listening, who goes, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I've thought about being an entrepreneur or, um, you know, I've got this random idea to try and do a startup, right? Um, what are some of the things that you learned that you didn't expect going into it? Um, kind of one of those, hey, make sure you know this before you get going or before you start. Yeah, such a good question. I've had so many people tell me, like, how do you know so much? Because <laughs> I'm a first-time founder, and I mean, it's been a grind. It's been really hard. I, 
I tell people I was doing COVID before COVID because from like April to like Christmas time, I was just in my apartment in 2019, just like not talking to anybody and just figuring out the, cor- the, the quarantine before the quarantine. Yeah. And just like having user interviews. So as an entrepreneur, I feel like you can't, you can't start with a solution. Like you really have to start with the problem and you have to be so obsessed with the problem. Um, because if you go in there with a solution then it's going to be like, Oh, okay, maybe that's not the best solution. And it kind of flops. Whereas if you're just like, this is the problem. Student athletes need to be able to monetize monetization sucks for video right now how do we fix this right and the how do you fix it is always going to change um that's just the nature of startups and and building and building a company but the problem is still gonna be there right like and your obsession with the problem should still be there as well so i would say that um and if you are so obsessed with the problem, then you also need to be able to have a network and be able to talk to so many users that are dealing with the problem every day to actually figure out what you should be, what you should be building and what is the solution. Um, So that's what I would say for anyone that's kind of thinking about entrepreneurship. I will say I don't regret a lot. Um, That's just not how I am, but I definitely might have stayed at ESPN a little bit longer. And it's so funny because I, I met the founder of Orange Theory because I, I do Orange Theory and I was talking to him and like I was telling him about me potentially leaving ESPN to build a startup. He's like, okay, like I'm just going to tell you one thing, like stay there, like just stay there as long as you can. I'm like, no, like I got it. Like we're raising funding and man, I wish I would have listened to him because I, I think it's not having the stress of just like figuring out your bills and your finances to where you actually can have this creative freedom to actually build a company and a startup. That's the reason why, but I also don't regret it because startups, some of the best startups get built because there's a fire under the ass of the founder right? Like you're not urgency. Got to have the urgency. You're not just chilling in your apartment, just creating stuff no one's going to use. So, um, it's this, it's this balance that you have to figure out in this mix. And so the mix that I have is I still do data science consulting on the side to pay the bills, but I'm all, and my clients are super flexible. Like they know that I'm building a startup. So majority of my hours in the day actually go to building the startup. So it's kind of, both of them are happening and having to juggle both and being comfortable with juggling both. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the advice that I would give to any founder hopefuls listening. Well, I got, I got some rapid fire for you as we, as we wrap up the episode. Uh, don't fall, don't fall out of your seat. Um, Uh, first, first thing, if you're, if you're, a go back to your you know being a student as a as you know trying to to learn data and and um economics and whatnot what's the one thing that you need as a student going into the industry from a data perspective understanding 
how data works, like understanding database management, a warehouse, like how do you house data? Um, database management was like the best class I've ever taken. And it's so random, but like actually understanding the relationship between data structures um, and how they communicate with each other is, I think is very underrated. Like everyone talks about being a math whiz and like modeling and learning how to code, like cool. Like you can learn how to code in like two seconds, honestly, just from videos online, but understanding data intuitively and just the relationship, I think is probably the most important piece. All right. What's the best part about living in New York? The freedom to go wherever I want, when I want. Hopefully that makes sense. I, I mean, you can kind of do that wherever, whenever. <laughs> but. Maybe. Okay. So I think the freedom combined with the hustle atmosphere. So I really like how I can just walk outdoors and just get on the train and, and go somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Like, of yeah. course, if I had a car, cool. I can just go anywhere that I want. But I don't know. I think just being able to walk wherever and have the freedom and not be tied to, I don't know, a vehicle, one place. Um, but also, I think the hustle mentality up here in the city, it's very, very different than anywhere else that I've lived. And I always told myself I would hate living in New York. So my dad's sister has lived up here since she graduated college. And she's tried to pull me up here. And I'm like, no, like, I'm a southerner. I'm gonna hate it up there. And then I just slowly started going up to the East Coast. And now well, I'm here. She's like, I knew you would get here eventually. It's your attitude. Let's take you back to the South. Cafe du Monde coffee or beignets? Which one? I'm I'm surprised you know this. That's amazing. I've had I've had my fair share of beignets. A thousand percent beignets. I can actually make them. All right. Next podcast. <laughs> well, we'll do a podcast on just beignets. Maybe how to make a beignet. Uh, although exactly. I have bought the mix online before and it's not as good making them at home as it is in person. So you got to go to New Orleans. Um, exactly. All right. Last question for you. You know, as you think about uh, the changing landscape of sports, uh, what is, what's the one thing that, you know, hasn't happened yet that you think might? Oh, that's so tough. Oh my gosh. I actually think, COVID is going to be really interesting with, obviously everyone says this, live sports, but I think it's beautiful how athletes have actually, and this is me just being biased because this is my industry, but, but the uptick in athlete-driven media and then being more aware of I can actually prolong my career and increase my salary and all sorts of different things just from focus, focusing on my own content and building my own audience and not just having to rely on my sport for the rest of my life. Um, I think COVID has put, just has like shed a light on that even more and to where a lot of them are focusing it, like focusing on it way more than they were before. Um, 
which I think is an amazing thing because when I think you take, when you take your own career into your own hands, um, I'm just a huge proponent of that. So I feel like in the future, there's definitely going to be a bigger flood of content from athletes, them experimenting a little bit more, which we're already seeing. Gronk starting YouTube channel very soon. <laughs> we all knew this was going to happen. Um, but just things like that, people that you wouldn't have even expected, I think are even more open to really getting into content creation, which I think is so, so dope and obviously gives us a reason to exist. Well, I mean, you, you know, you think about the, the phrase content's king and people always say follow the money, but you put those two together. It's a pretty de pretty decent combination. So um, appreciate, you know, you, you sharing your insights and uh, excited to see the, the launch of Pure Story. And if people want to learn more, where can they go and, and how can they follow you? Yeah, so on our site, curastory.co, um, if you're interested in actually getting on the platform, there's a sign up, like join launch. Um, we're doing a marketing site rebrand that will be live in the next few weeks, but you'll be on our email list. Um, we're starting, like I said, with athletes, fitness creators, things like that um, in the next couple of weeks, but we'll soon get to everybody else. Oh, and if you're a brand sponsor listening that is interested, definitely go sign up as well. Um, but yeah, CurieStory.co is the main site. Well, Tiffany, appreciate your time. Seriously, looking forward to, to the launch and uh, everything that, that comes after it. So uh, look forward to having you on again in the future uh, to talk a little bit more about the, the launch and, and everything thereafter. Um, so we'll sign off. Awesome. Thank you.